Can you know what turns to make without knowing where you're going? Trying to heal without knowing God's design is like trying to use a GPS without knowing your destination. Today, we're going to explore God's design for us and for our redemption. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. This is our second episode in our series about healing, where we're focusing on this quote from Pope Benedict. Healing is the entire content of our redemption when understood at a sufficiently deep level. In our our previous episode, we talked about um, what sort of healing, what does it mean when we say we're being healed, when we're talking about different styles of medicine. And today, what I want to get into is God's design, both what God's original plan was, uh, what we would be like if we didn't need healing, and then what God's plan for our redemption is, what our ultimate destiny is when God heals us. Uh, Before we jump into that, I just want to remind you about our show notes. Uh, I'm trying to make an effort to make these the best show notes they can be uh, with all the topics we talk about in the episode, the times when they come up, highlights from the episode, all of the quotes I'll give there, and also references. Uh, Linked on those show notes will be articles that I've written. I write at becominggift.com. So with every one of these topics, I'm going deeper into it and sharing more research and more resources. So if any of these topics pique your interest, uh, just head over to becominggift.com and you can read more. This show and all the shows on Awakened Catholic have been made possible by the generosity of the Awakened Nation. The Awakened Nations are, are patrons of Awakened Catholic, and if you have interest in becoming part of the Awakened Nation, just go to awakencatholic.org. So let's begin. From the very beginning, God reveals his plan. He shows his hand to us. Uh, The very first chapter of the scripture in the book of Genesis talks about our creation. And in there, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. God shows his hand right away. He he leads with with the (laughs) punchline. He's making us in his image after his likeness. We're made according to his design. We're like him. And he wants us to be like him. So this means we're also compatible with God in our original design. There was something between us and God that fit. It was our default setting to be like God and to be in communion with God. Let's look at the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. So this word that's being used here for word is talking about the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the word become flesh. Um, But also this word in the original Greek is the word logos. And this could actually be translated a lot of different ways. Um, Our language, a lot of times, words have very specific meaning. In the Greek language, words sort of open up the mind to a reality or or a universal idea that can't always be captured um, just by one meaning. So this word logos could actually be translated as reason or thought. 
And it was used in a principle, uh, as a principle in philosophy before the coming of Christ as like a principle of order, the sort of the order of the whole universe. So I'm going to reread that quote, but I'm going to use one of the other possible translations of it. It said, in the beginning was the reason. And the reason was with God and the reason was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him and without him, nothing came to be. Or we could impose order. In the beginning was this order. In this order, through this order, all things came to be. And this order was the light of the human race. Right. So when, when we uh, shift the way we translate that, it opens up this whole world of meaning that, that really shines a spotlight on the fact that God designed everything with intention, with purpose, with love, with really intimacy in the process. Right. There were no accidents in God's world. It all came to be through his providence, through his loving guidance. So everything came to be through this logos. And in this ordering to the logos, we might think of with a, a traditional idea of morality called the natural law. Right? There's the eternal law, which is the order of God, the logos. And then everything that's created is created with a reflection of this. And this we can call the natural law. So our original parents that God created um, in the scripture, they're called Adam and Eve. Um, they experienced this natural law intuitively. And actually they themselves, being a part of nature, being a part of creation, were ordered to this natural law. So, so the, the way that, that God is ordered matched the way that creation was ordered. And then the original humans were ordered according to the same design. Right? So when they were in their natural environment, they experienced harmony. And in that harmony, they discovered God himself. So humanity is created in this order, in this logos, and they experience the natural law uh, intuitively. This, this original state of order, of harmony, is sometimes called original justice. Um, so in this, we're, we're made in God's image and likeness. And one of the ways we're created in God's image and likeness is that we have reason and we have free will. Now, in history, because we've sinned, because we struggle, because we have wounds, we're neither perfectly rational nor are we perfectly free. Right? All of this has been dimmed, has been damaged by, by our sin, by our wounds. Um, but our original parents didn't experience this limitation. So we're, we're made in God's image and, and likeness al alone amongst the created order with this reason and this will. This reason gives us a capacity for wisdom that we can understand the whole and not just the parts, that we can create language, that we can understand um, universal concepts and do philosophy and create poetry, right? This is, a, this is the faculty of reason. And then we have freedom of will, meaning we can choose beyond our instincts. Our actions aren't just uh, the result of an accumulation of natural forces in us. This also makes us capable of communion, right? I don't just come together with things accidentally, but I choose to be with other things and other people. So I'm capable of communion and I'm capable of self-gift. I'm capable of giving myself away freely. And then finally, I'm capable of making covenant. Covenant, a lot of times, is talked about like in contract language. But what covenant really is, it's, it's, it's an agreement that makes family. To enter a covenant with someone else is to become family with them. So we have the capacity for family uh, to be in communion with one another 
in this unique and life-giving way. So it's important when we think about nature that nature is not independent from God. Right? We might be formed in a way of thinking that sort of nature and the universe is over here and, and sort of runs on its own um, without any help or any assistance or any need for God. And then God's sort of over here, distant and separate and uninvolved, and maybe just intervening in very particular ways. And we call these particular ways miracles. No, God's involvement in the universe, although it is true God is separate from the universe, God isn't the universe, and God's outside the universe, he transcends the universe, but God's involved in the universe in an ordinary way. He's holding everything in being, and he's also directing everything lovingly through his providence. Here's how the, the Catechism states it in paragraph 302. Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete from the hand of the creator. The universe was created in a state of journeying, of journeying towards perfection. And this journey that the creation is going through hand in hand with the creator is called providence, that God's lovingly and intimately involved in the natural world and in our lives. So providence is journeying to perfection under God's shepherding. We're also created in God's image and likeness as a communion of persons. Remember I talked about uh, that we're capable of this deeper kind of relationship. We're capable of communion, self-gift, and covenant. So we're designed to be in communion. A communion is our default setting. Uh, from the very beginning, after God created Adam or humankind, he said it's not good for man to be alone. Right? We're created to be with others. So while we were in communion with God originally, we still needed others. We needed communion with other people who would bring God to us in a more profound way. So we're, in, we're also created in the image of God as our com, a communion of persons. This is actually built into our biology. We're all conceived, intimately connected to another person. The first nine months of our lives, or maybe less or, or more if we're born early or born late, we're physically connected to our mother. Our default setting is to be connected. And then even beyond that, built into our biology are things like mirror neurons. We have these neurons in our brain that literally react to what's going on in other people's nervous systems. We have this, this mirror effect in our brain that, that gives us the ability to be empathetic, to understand other people's experience. So we're made for communion. We're made to be connected. And our default setting is to be connected in this way. So the next thing we need to ask is, okay, God's designed us um, from creation to be in his image and likeness. And he's also created us um, in his image and likeness, having reason and will, and to be a communion of persons with one another. So does all of this exclude uh, evolution? A few episodes ago, we talked about how we could reconcile uh, a biological idea, a scientific idea of evolution with Christian revelation with our understanding of creation. And I want to say the fact that we're created in God's image and likeness does not exclude uh, the possibility that our body came to be through a natural process of evolution. There's a couple things I think that helps us to hold this. One is the evolutionary process is not um, just the result of um, reactions to uh, adaptations and natural environment, but we believe that 
God's involved in the process of evolution. Right? The, the process of evolution isn't just a collection of cosmic mistakes without any kind of guidance. No, no, God's been involved in providence from the beginning in development of something from nothing. Additionally, we don't believe the human soul is the result of a process of evolution. It's also not um, just an emergent property of the, the complexity of the body, as if like at a certain point as the body is developing and evolving and becoming more complex, it then just from that complexity emerges this higher spiritual order. No, we believe in a special creation of the human soul at a particular moment in time. Some people, um, when they're, they're trying to reconcile the story in, of theology with the story we discover in biology, um, will correlate this with what's sometimes called the Great Leap Forward by anthropologists. There's this period of human history where it seems like there's this emergent of art in this great expansion in the use of tools and human understanding, uh, early signs of the use of, of language and symbolic meaning. Um, so some people will, will correlate uh, this great leap forward with this creation of the human soul. So we can hold together that both God's designed us, body, mind, and soul, and that we're the result of an evolutionary process, that our bodies come to be over a period of time. This is important because when we then consider uh, the reason why we behave the way we behave, why we have the struggles we have, one of the important uh, explanations from this from a biological perspective is sometimes called a theory of mismatch, that the environment that our body has come to expect by that process of evolution now doesn't match our current environment. So I, I talked about this before in terms of a supermarket, right? That when you go into a supermarket, it's not something your evolutionary biology is, is designed to, to work with. Um, so when we're struggling, we, we have our, our wounds from sin, from our own sin and the sin that people have done to us. And we also have uh, like psychological traumas, ways that we've uh, experienced um, chronic or acute um, situations where we feel unsafe and that damages us psychologically. And then we also experience this physical mismatch where our, because of our environment, um, we're incurring wounds and our bodies being damaged um, maybe by, by toxins or by eating a diet that's not appropriate to our species or uh, not sleeping enough or some other uh, disease or, or, or thing that's damaged our body. So our struggles have at their root this whole complex of causes physical, emotional, and spiritual. So Adam and Eve, um, some theologians, to explain their, their existence with this kind of harmony, will say that they experience what are called preternatural gifts, meaning that even beyond their natural harmony with the created world, God gave them particular spiritual gifts that elevated them beyond their natural capacities. Um, one of these would be the, the gift of incorruptibility. The idea is that uh, by philosophy, we can deduce that nature, that material things, just by the way they are, are corruptible. Meaning if you don't um, put any energy into them, they decay over time. Um, so this idea that, the, that Adam and Eve weren't originally designed to die, that God had created them um, to live with him forever, um, isn't because of their own natural power, because of an ability that was in their nature, but it's a preternatural gift. It's a supernatural gift that God gave them uh, to be immortal. The second of these would be a remedy to their interior conflicts. 
So even though they had the sort of ordering to their natural environment, this ordering to the natural law, they still at times might have experienced uh, conflicts. And, and one way we could conceive of these conflicts would be a conflict between their survival instinct, right? their, their built-in um, instinct to simply make it through the next winter or for the perpetuation of the species. And on the other hand, the expression of the eternal law that isn't perfectly reflected in nature anymore. And even at the time, they might have experienced attractions um, that were driven by this natural biological process. So they would have been given a, a gift of ordering their desires, a supernatural ordering that would have brought their, um, their soul and body in perfect harmony so that the body would have always been obedient to the soul. Uh, they also would have been limited to knowledge based on their sense experience. This is the way that we work as humans. We experience things with our senses. And then by a process of continued experience and, and thinking, we then come to understand uh, universal principles and spiritual ideas from that sense experience. So uh, some theologians believe that Adam and Eve had uh, a, a supernatural knowledge given to them that they could order their, their life to supernatural ends, even beyond what they could have discovered in nature. So these are sometimes called the preternatural gifts. And it, this is an important theological concept, although it's not an official doctrine of the church. Um, so it's just a way for us to, to think about this that can be helpful. Um, because when Adam and Eve then experience sin and they experience fall, one of the logical consequences of sin was the removal of the preternatural gifts. Not because God's fickle and just wanted to punish them, but because they were no longer capable of receiving them. Right? They, they became disordered and so were no longer capable of perfect harmony with God, so couldn't receive all of the gifts that God would have been offering to them. Uh, so all of this begs the question, what exactly does redemption do? In our next episode, we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about the fall. We're going to talk about human brokenness in more detail. Uh, we've, we've touched on it here, but it, it really needs to, uh, we need to take it deeper. But what does our redemption do? What's God's ultimate plan? I think we know, based on our experience, that God's plan isn't just to return us to the garden. right? We've, we've all experienced that. We might be baptized or have a conversion experience or something like that, but it doesn't make us perfect. right? We're not restored to this original harmony, this original order. So there's something in God's plan that we begin to experience a redemption in time and space, and this has progressively grown in us. And then it's not ultimately fulfilled until we get to heaven. So God does not restore the preternatural gifts when we're baptized, but the trajectory of our redemption actually goes beyond the original blessedness of Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is because this new trajectory is to heaven. We experience a foretaste of this, especially through the theological virtues, through faith, hope, and love, uh, through prayer and mystical experiences, and in the way that grace overflows in our life to other people. But it's never perfectly fulfilled in this life. We're not perfect in this life. We can be progressively healed and, and root out sins over time, but we're never perfect in this life. So the, the physical effects of sin mostly remain, right? It's not like we're baptized and then we don't get sick anymore. Or if we just prayed more or prayed better, that we would no longer experience a disease. Yes, sometimes God chooses to heal us in a supernatural way, but uh, there is a dynamic that suffering actually becomes redemptive in God's plan. When Christ raises from the dead, he still has wounds. 
He invites Thomas to touch his, the, the wounds in his hand and his side. Right? He still has these wounds in his redemption. And in the same way, God doesn't take away all of our suffering because that suffering is redemptive. So when, when God's restoring us, he's taking us, like we've talked about, through this progressive healing process. And in this healing process, we're going to experience a progressive ordering, this ordering according to the logos, body, mind, and soul. And with that, uh, we're going to experience then, instead of sin being the symptom of our behavior, over time we can experience virtue being the symptom of this system of order, of this, uh, of this order to the natural law. Uh, here's what Catechism, paragraph 364, has to say about this. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul and is the whole human person that is intended to become in the body of Christ, a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the whole of us, body, mind, and soul that God is redeeming, right? It's not like I've said before that we have the spiritual things over here that God really cares about and this physical stuff that we just sort of have to deal with and suffer through. Yes, we're going to have sufferings in this life, but God's going to transform us physically and spiritually in this process. Uh, here's a quote from the Second Vatican Council quoted in the Catechism in the same paragraph. Man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. The creed we say at church every Sunday, or Catholics say at church every Sunday, at the end says we believe in the resurrection of the dead. This, this resurrection is the resurrection of the body. We believe in a heaven that's spiritual and physical, that ultimately in the second coming, we're going to be restored to our body, to a glorified version of our body. Um, but heaven is going to be physical and spiritual. It's going to be an experience of our whole person. Right? So, so the foretaste of heaven that we get here, right, our experience of God in the present moment, the experience of redemption that we get in history, is, is also going to follow the same design. It's going to be our whole person uh, brought up to a place of redemption by God. Uh, so a holy person, from this perspective, is simply what they are designed to be. We shouldn't see holiness as an imposition of a bunch of rules from the outside that aren't compatible with us. No, God's designed us for communion with him. So as we grow in holiness, we're simply becoming progressively more and more and more human. Um, so we become in harmony with the natural law and ordered according to the logos and in an intimate relationship with God. So in light of God's plan, holiness is actually our default setting. It's, it's what we're all called to be. It's where we are. If there weren't any external forces pulling us away from God, that's what we, where we would be. So holiness is really a process of integration. Uh, this idea of integration, that, that we're this uh, complex system, and then everything is working together in harmony. This is, this is integration. So to be holy is to be fully integrated. So in order to really do this, though, we have to set our sight on God. Right? Remember, this is all about God's design. And this is uh, very essential that we get this right, because if we start off from a wrong place, moving in the wrong direction, we're certainly not going to end up where we want to be. 
So we have to calibrate our sight, calibrate our vision, set the destination in that, uh, that allegorical GPS I talked about in the beginning um, onto God. Uh, so some ways we could fail to do this would be uh, thinking about health, the health of our body in light of earthly ends. Like, for example, we might have a goal to get six-pack abs. Now, there's, there's no problem with having, quote-unquote, six-pack abs, that you're so thin that the muscle shows through the tight skin on your stomach. But it just probably isn't genetically in the cards for a lot of us. A lot of people who do maintain that, that kind of physique, that low of body fat, actually experience a lot of other negative consequences, whether it be uh, psychological difficulties. Um, many women who have, keep that low of a body weight percentage will stop having their menstrual cycle. Right? Their body literally starts, stops um, what are considered non-essential functions um, because it needs to maintain itself with the reduced nutrition. Um, so when we set our sight on these lower goals without God in mind, we can see that, that the place where we end up, even though we might achieve that, that singular thing, we end up in a disordered place, in a more disintegrated place. Uh, we also might think of our work that way, right? You might have a goal to be more productive, to get more done at work, to be successful in your career. But if we lose sight of God's design, God's hierarchy, if we lose sight of the importance of our family, we might become a workaholic where we could achieve great success materially, um, but then be a mess at home, lose marriages, um, break people's hearts, and in the process really harm ourselves. Right? So, so calibrating our sight of how we're trying to improve this holistic integration, we need to calibrate it with God's design, keep him at the center of it, so then as we're growing, as we're healing, as we're coming more and more in line with the natural law, with the logos, it's our whole person that's rising together. I want to share a way I've experienced this in my life. Um, so in the process of losing 170 pounds, uh, toward the end of the process, um, I just sort of hit a plateau. It's really common in weight loss to hit these plateaus. Sometimes it's just the body adjusting and you just persevere and and it moves beyond it. This time, though, uh, something very unexpected happened. I was studying meditation and, um, and, and tried some new meditation techniques. And one of them was adding a meditation in my afternoon ritual. Like in the middle of my workday, I would take a break and for 10 or 15 minutes just sit in silence and meditate. And I experienced this dramatic reduction in stress. Um, just like if, if my stress level was like a seven, it was like toned down to like a three or a four. So in the midst of that, I just lost 10 more pounds. I didn't change anything else. I didn't change my diet. I didn't change my exercise. I didn't change my sleep. I just started doing this new meditation form that caused my body to de-stress. And then this, this weight loss happened. And this has been my experience in a lot of other ways. When we're seeking things in light of God's perfection, when we're seeking things in light of God's design with integration um, and trying to be holistically healthy, um, when we raise the water, all the boats rise in the harbor. That's a phrase people use sometimes. Um, so when we're healing physically, we're also getting healthier spiritually. When we're maybe uh, dealing with our psychological trauma and stress, we're also going to get healthier physically and also have deeper prayer. So this is one of the, the things we can expect if we're really holistically seeking this, calibrated by God's design, uh, that we'll have this holistic growth in our life. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. I just want to remind you to, to check out the show notes 
and and also uh, the article on becoming gift that corresponds to this episode. Um, have a blessed day, everyone. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. If you're watching the show on YouTube, make sure to press the like button, subscribe to the Awakened Catholic YouTube channel, and turn on the bell notifications so that you can find out when new episodes are released. Also, it's super helpful if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or your podcast player. At Awakened Catholic, we're dedicated to bringing people to truth through beauty. This show and all the shows here on Awakened Catholic are only possible because of people like you. You can become a part of what makes this all possible by making a tax-deductible donation for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week. To join the Awakened Nation, visit awakencatholic.org forward slash join.